With the concept of mindfulness in the West gaining ground these days, many proponents have stepped forth with explanations and methodologies to help the laity grasp it all. But in my mind, one of the most engaging teachers of this tradition is Jackie Hawkin. This month's podcast from the Jacques Marche is happy to present Jackie Hawkins' recent visit, in edited form of course, to our garden space this past autumn, where Jackie spoke for a good two hours on the topic of mindfulness. Her newly released book, Mindfulness for a Broken Heart, was on hand for anyone interested in taking home some of her teaching that same day. Though based out of Bristol in the UK, Miss Hawkins can often be found in the Big Apple, along with her trusty companion, Alfie the Wonder Dog, strolling through Central Park as she is a fan of this melting pot of a metropolis we locals often take for granted. With certificates and degrees in clinical psychology, law, PTSD, and stress management, to name but a few, Jackie Hawkin brings a multidimensional view to the topic she had covered that beautiful afternoon in the garden at the Tibetan Museum. Here is part one of a two-part discourse on mindfulness. Mindfulness increases resilience, focus, efficiency, well-being, attention, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and it leads to an increased optimism in your immune system. So your immune system becomes a, a lot stronger. It also is said to improve relationships and disease resistance, which I've just referred to. But it also enhances something that's called neuroplasticity. A mindfulness has been proven now beyond a shadow of a doubt to create changes in people's brains. And when I say it's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, there have been experiments where they've hooked up meditators to brain scanners and so on. And every time they've seen that it increases the activity in the frontal cortex, decreases the activity in the amygdala, the fight or flight reptilian brain part, to the extent that monks that meditate for hours on end show a thickening of their cortex, for whatever reason, that must be good, <laughs> and a shrinking of the amygdala, the fight or flight response part of the brain. So that is why mindfulness is so good. I'm not at all nervous because I really, really like talking, imparting knowledge and meeting people. But at the same time as having this high confidence, I had terribly low self-esteem. My self-esteem was just dragging the floor. I define self-confidence as that outer relationship you have with the world that enables you to communicate with people and how you present yourself. And I define self-esteem as that inner relationship that you have with yourself and what you think you are worthy of and how you treat yourself. I didn't think I was worthy of very much. And even with my professional life, suffering from something some of you have heard of, which is imposter syndrome. What imposter syndrome is, uh, is that despite having passed your exams, got yourself various jobs, you're waiting to be found out as the imposter you believe you are, that you basically are not good enough. And when I was working as a lawyer, I just thought, 
why are people taking me seriously? I'm not that good, you know? I struggled with my exams and so on. And then I left being a lawyer to concentrate on my interest, which is clinical psychology and spiritual dimensions of life. And I realized actually I was a good lawyer. And I'd wasted all that time worrying that I was going to be found out as being a bad lawyer. And we waste a lot of time in our lives, really, being hypercritical. And we'd never talk to our best friend the way we talk to ourselves. So that's a little bit of a background about where my philosophy is. I have to say that this is a marvelous setting. And being surrounded by prayer flags and having the Buddha just next to me, is wonderful because I am a Buddhist of the Tibetan Karmakaju tradition. The head of my Tibetan lineage is, is the Karmapa. And my precious teacher, who passed away a few years ago, Akon Rinpoche, to whom I dedicated my book, was really for me the manifestation of the Medicine Buddha in this lifetime. So what Akon Rinpoche and other teachers taught me was that you don't have to blow your own trumpet, teach as if you're a know-it-all, that really when you come from a place of humility, not, again, self-esteem scraping the floor, but humility, common humanity, which is what my Tibetan teachers come from and came from, then your connection with the rest of humanity, with human beings, is improved. And... I sit here today saying that I've had mental health issues. I have had um, stress-related illness, which has kept me off work. I've had depression twice. I had the low self-esteem. And anxiety runs in my family. And an awful lot of us struggle with our minds, with these busy brains. And what again, what I've found is that my experience with all of that has helped me to be able to relate to people. It doesn't define me and it doesn't mean that I'm lesser than anyone else. And actually, mindfulness is really for me the last piece in the jigsaw puzzle that enabled me to put together all the things I've learned in my life because you never stop learning. There's so much you can do. You can carry on learning and learning and learning. And I qualified very late as a post-16 teacher after all the other qualifications that I've done. And so that's where I'm coming from. I am enjoying living mindfully, which is what this talk is about. And it basically boils down to the essence of being in the present moment as often as you can. And there's no better place to be in the present moment than where we are right now, in a garden, surrounded by trees. If you look around you at all the different trees and the prayer flags and the stones, I mean, it's just so lovely to be here. Mindfulness means recognizing that all we have is this very moment. The past is gone and it can teach us. We have a tendency to dwell too much in it. The future hasn't yet arrived. And yes, we need to make some plans. But we miss so much when we forget to be like this in the present moment with these birds and this beautiful scenery around us. 
Mindfulness helps you to take a little bit of a step back if you're practicing these breathing techniques. I like to say it helps you to come back to center. It helps to bring you back into a focus. It helps you by reminding yourselves to breathe and to be aware of where you are and to feel your feet on the ground. And for instance, when you're practicing mindful walking, what you're doing is totally engaging your senses. What can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? What can I taste? What can I touch? How do I feel? And am I aware of my feet on the ground? What I'm saying here about mindfulness and how it improves relationships is that the more you help yourself to slow down a bit and breathe, by breathing you're not reacting so quickly, it can help your relationships. Because mindfulness goes hand in hand with self-compassion, if you're being compassionate to yourself, you're also learning to be more compassionate to other people. So in general, the way mindfulness would help relationships would be to enable you to just think a little before you react. But it also gives you more of a robustness so that you're less sensitive about slights. The more you, you work the mindfulness muscle, the more helpful it is. Well, it seems like to me, Jackie, that without doing that, you build up what seems to be like a, a room of regrets. Yeah. And then, but you don't realize they're there. Yeah. And then it points you're always on edge so mm. that every little thing could feel like a very painful sense yeah. of slight. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with yeah. that. That's a yeah. great point. It is. That's what a lot of people do. They think by being quiet, that's the mindfulness. No, mm. that's horrible, yeah. I call it. And then that's the volume. Well, it can lead to passive-aggressive behavior. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and resentment. Yeah. So that's what mindfulness is like. How about we... Just do a sitting practice. Are you all up for it? Yes. yes. Now, my, the meditation practices that I do, the longest one is 14 minutes. Mm. Because what I found, and perhaps this is projection of my own self, I find that um, because I'm quite an alpha female and I'm quite sort of on the go, mm -hmm. I, I would find it impossible to sit down for 40 minutes, an hour, I consider myself to be a bit of a maverick in the mindfulness world because I do not recommend long practices. I, I think it's too much. And all it does is help to build up resistance and people give up. So we're going to do the settling, grounding, resting support, which will be about 12 minutes. And then I'm going to tack on to the end two other little practices that literally are 30 seconds long each. And these practices are ones you can do anytime, any place, anywhere. Mm. There are three mindful breaths and breathing in a healing color. And they're extremely useful. So the way I'm teaching is, first of all, sit comfortably. I would suggest that if you're not sitting cross-legged, that you put your feet on the ground and just make sure that you're sitting in a, a comfortable way because we're going to concentrate on how our body is at the moment. So if you want to just get yourself comfortable. Now, at this point, I'm just closing my eyes because I'm not watching people. 
And I find it really useful to teach these practices in this way. So arriving now at this place, at this time, nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, but just to enjoy being here in the present moment. And first of all, thinking about our bodies. Thinking about our feet on the floor, the groundedness of having our feet on the floor. Our sitting bones are on the chair. And our backs are upright, but not straight like a poker. They obey the natural curves in the back. So now, if you will, shrugging your shoulders right up to your ears and pulling your chest back so that you have opening in your chest and then placing your hands either on your thighs or one on top of the other in your lap. And that way you have allowed opening in your chest. Your neck is often shortened by jutting out your chin. So just bringing your chin slightly back so that you have lengthening in the back of your neck. And then imagining a golden thread descending from the sky now attaching itself to the top of your head and giving you a little tug, bringing you into alignment, back of the head, back of the neck and back. So you're sitting on your chair in this present moment with a nice, relaxed body, alert, awake and yet relaxed. And now becoming aware of sound. There's sounds coming from all directions because we're outside and also because we live in a world of sound and it's very, very difficult to escape all sounds. So just being aware now of all the sounds surrounding us. And then allowing all these sounds, whether they come from outside our bodies or even inside our bodies, allowing all these sounds just to knit together like one big comfort blanket of sound. Letting that comfort blanket of sound now just hover over us and this place in a very gentle way so that any further sounds that arise from wherever they come just join this one generic comfort blanket of sound so that we can be aware of sound but we are not overly engaged with it and we are not shutting it out. We are allowing sound to be with us.
And now allowing your attention to descend to the area between your neck and your groin. So awareness of your chest and stomach area. Being aware of breathing in and out. And for mindfulness purposes, I should like you, without forcing, to breathe all the way into your tummy with expansion and all the way out with contraction. So as you breathe in, there's expansion rib cage and chest and tummy. And as you breathe out, there's contraction of tummy, rib cage, chest. Breathing in with expansion. Breathing out with contraction. Being on the spot here now, nowhere else to go, nothing else to do, but to enjoy this present moment. As we sit here, thoughts are free to arise, to display, and to dissolve. Every time we become aware of thoughts, we bring ourselves back to breathing in and breathing out. And the way we do it is like this. Imagine, if you will, a little rowing boat that's just next to the seashore. The anchor has been thrown over and is resting on the seabed. And the little boat is free to roam across the water according to the waves and the currents until at last the rope connecting the anchor to the boat grows taut, gives the little boat a tug and the little boat drifts ever so gently back over the anchor. And so it is that as we sit here in one place, in this present moment, breathing in and breathing out, allowing sound to just sit gently over us like one generic comfort blanket of sound. As we do all that, our minds inevitably start to wander just like the little boat wandering away from the anchor. When we realize that we have done that and we are in the process of thinking, that realization is like the rope between our present moment attention and our wandering and reminds us 
to come back to breathing in and breathing out and being here. Thoughts, as I said, are free to arise, to display and to dissolve. And every time we engaged with thinking, thoughts are not good or bad, they're just thinking. Every time we engage, when we realize that's what we're doing, we come back again and again and again to sitting on the spot, breathing in and breathing out. And sometimes it helps people to see our mind like a vast blue sky so that we are watching the vast blue sky of mind. And when thinking occurs, these thoughts just hop onto clouds that drift ever so gently across the vast blue sky of our mind. And for other people, it helps to remind themselves of the undercurrent and the observer. Our minds have an undercurrent of thoughts, emotions, sensations and images that flows 24 hours a day. We as the observer can see this stream of thoughts emotions, sensations, and images. So when thinking happens, the thoughts just join this stream that gently flows in our brain mind. And we are sitting watching this stream and just allow this to happen, coming back again and again to breathing in and breathing out. Being in the present moment, allowing ourselves to enjoy being. And now just sitting for two minutes only in silence before we do those two short exercises that I promised you.
And breathing all the way in and all the way out. And now doing these two 30 second practices that you can use anytime, any place, anywhere. The first being three mindful breaths. So it's simply breathing in and breathing out and doing it in a precise way. So once again, focusing your attention on the area between your neck and your groin. And we're going to breathe in and out three times, but as we do it, we are going to breathe all the way into our tummy and all the way out again, and say to ourselves in our head, at the same time as we breathe, now I'm breathing in. And then for the length of the time we breathe out, we say to ourselves in our head, now I'm breathing out. So doing this at your own pace, taking your first breath in and saying, now I'm breathing in. And now I'm breathing out, all the way out. And now I'm breathing in, all the way in with expansion. And now I'm breathing out. And now I'm breathing in. And now I'm breathing out. And finally, thinking of a color that to you represents cleansing and healing. Just thinking of a color. And now we're going to do three breaths. So starting now, breathing that color in now to every cell in your body, cleansing, healing. And then breathing out dark gray smoke of staleness that dissolves as it leaves your body. And breathing in the healing color, rushing to every cell in your body, cleansing, healing. And breathing out the dark gray smoke of staleness that dissolves as it leaves your body. And breathing in the healing color, cleansing, healing, every cell in your body. And breathing out the dark gray smoke of staleness that dissolves as it leaves your body. and gently coming back to where we are and opening our eyes. How's everyone doing? Very good. Be sure to come back next month to the Jacques Marche Museum of Tibetan Art podcast page for more ways to hone one's mindfulness when we run the conclusion of this two-part talk. To find out more about Jackie Hawkins and the topic of mindfulness, go to mindfulnessbristol.co.uk. Meanwhile, for the Jacques Marche, 
Museum of Tibetan Art on Lighthouse Hill overlooking historic Richmond Town on Staten Island. I'm Rudy Basich. Tashi Delic.